And when the intro music begins to play, I announce the date, which is August 28th, 2023 is the current year. It's a Monday as usual on Surreal Politiques. And we're very glad to be with you indeed. Episode 24. Yes, they were bribed. Indeed, they were, ladies and gentlemen. Today's August 28th, 2023 is the current year. And uh, Ukraine is back in the news after former prosecutor Victor Shokin made an appearance on Fox News' One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Kilmeade, normally among the most shameless of pro-Ukraine propagandists, aired the interview just this past weekend, during which Shokin stated... What is obvious to anyone who has been paying any attention to what's going on in the world? Yes, they were being bribed, he said, referring to the Biden crime family. And why don't I go ahead and just pull up that? Well, you know what? It's actually it's translated. Do I want to play the clip for you? Uh, we'll do it. We'll do it real quick. I do not want to deal in unproven facts, but my firm personal conviction is that yes, well, case, they were being bribed. The fact that Joe Biden gave away $1 billion in uh, U.S. Uh, money in exchange for my dismissal, my firing, isn't that alone a case of corruption? Arguably so, I'd say. And of course, you know, they have explanations for that, but they're all a bunch of lies. Shokin was famously fired after Joe Biden, then vice president and heading up Ukraine foreign policy for the Obama administration, threatened then president Petro Poroshenko with the loss of a billion dollars in promised U.S. loan guarantees. Biden would later tell the story to the Council on Foreign Relations in 2018, saying, you don't fire the prosecutor, you're not getting a billion dollars, he said, followed by son of a beep, he got fired. Dutifully, Western media like the Washington Post, New York Times and Wall Street Journal all followed up with vague claims of corruption by Mr. Shokin, but no evidence or specificity was forthcoming. What was forthcoming was that Shokin had been investigating Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company that hired now President Biden's crackhead son Hunter to be on its board of directions, directors, I should say. This despite the fact that Hunter knew nothing about the energy business, did not speak Ukrainian, and had no discernible skill that would warrant him being hired at anything so prestigious as a fast food restaurant stateside. More recently, JustTheNews.com obtained memos summarizing the findings of the Interagency Policy Committee, or the IPC, a task force created to advise the Obama administration on whether Ukraine was cleaning up its endemic 
its endemic corruption and deserve more Western foreign aid. Quote, Ukraine has made sufficient progress on its reform agenda to justify a third guarantee, reads an October 1st, 2015 memo. Biden threatened to withhold those funds in December of the same year. There was no legitimate basis for doing so, contra the Democrat narrative. In Western media, to the extent this is covered at all, it is framed as evidence of Joe Biden being involved in corrupt practices like influence peddling. And this is so obvious, it scarcely warrants mentioning. What is less obvious and not at all discussed in the media is its direct nexus to the war currently taking place in that region, the Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election, and the role this likely played in the election of 2020. You hear plenty about Russian interference in 2016, don't you? Trump was the Siberian candidate, we were to believe. The Russians hacked the DNC and John Podesta and had bots helping Trump by calling him a Nazi because apparently that's how you win elections in the United States. But the mark of a successful intelligence operation is its lack thereof. You do not hear about successful intelligence missions because their success is marked by secrecy. You hear about the outcomes all the time, of course. Surprise election upsets, other convenient happenings, more coincidences than a reasonable person ought to feel comfortable with. But you do not hear about the involvement of intelligence agencies unless the intelligence agency has failed. Until pretty recently, most Americans would have told you that Ukraine was a part of Russia. Ukraine's 1991 independence was not a prominent feature in the American mind. Many Ukrainians speak Russian. They use the same Cyrillic alphabet, and perhaps most notably, their intelligence agency, the SBU, has remained little change from its KGB roots. If the SBU does things abroad, blaming it on the Russian FSB is an easy thing to do. That is exactly what happened in 2016, but to understand this, one needs some background on the SBU and Ukraine. A color revolution in the most literal sense, we begin our story with the Orange Revolution of 2004. Viktor Yanukovych had just won a runoff election to become president of the Ukraine. Yanukovych was less friendly to Western interests and more friendly toward neighboring Russia than was the man he defeated, Viktor Yushchenko. So a color revolution was staged to oust him. Following mass protests, the elections were tossed by the Ukrainian Supreme Court and a new runoff was staged. The results favored Yushchenko 52% to 45%. International monitors, it should go without saying, consider this to be free and fair, unlike the last election that was just thrown out the window. Nothing to see here. But even if this is true, of which the sane must be skeptical, if Yanukovych still got 45% of the vote after being accused of corruption, it hardly seems like this was some will-of-the-people situation. Ukrainians liked Viktor Yanukovych. They wanted him to be their president. In keeping with this obvious reality, he ran again and was elected again in 2010. In 2013, Yanukovych declined to sign a trade deal with the European Union, and so he had to be removed from power. Thus began the humorously named Revolution of Dignity. Yeah, that's a great idea. They're catching on to the whole color revolution thing, fellas. We better name it something else. Deadly protests broke out beginning in November of 2013. In December of 2013, the rioters were visited by none other, than, none other than John McCain, whom it should almost go without saying was very enthusiastic about the violence. 
Writing in The Atlantic with no shortage of sarcasm, Abby Olheiser details John McCain's long history of showing solidarity with protesters right before all hell breaks loose. In a piece titled, Here Comes Freedom, she writes, In August, for instance, John McCain and Lindsey Graham flew to Cairo to solve the Egypt crisis because, in McCain's word, they have credibility with everybody over there. In the wake of the Egyptian military coup's pres- uh, uh, Egyptian military's coup against President Morsi, the pair of Senate hawks had some strong words for the interim military government, and now everything in Egypt is fine. Of course, uh, if you're not getting the joke, things in Egypt at the moment of this writing were most certainly not fine. Far from it. In May, John McCain secretly crossed the border into Syria in order to meet with armed opposition groups fighting Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Rebel leaders in the country asked McCain to help convince the White House to provide lethal aid, a no-fly zone, and strikes against Hezbollah and the Syrian regime in order to aid their efforts. Success number two. And we might note that this is part of the precursor to the conflict in Ukraine because it puts the United States and Russia in a proxy war in Syria. In April of 2011, John McCain visited the Benghazi stronghold of the Libyan rebels shortly after the U.S. joined NATO military action against the regime of former Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi. Gaddafi, who died in October of that year, was no stranger to McCain. After his 2011 visit, McCain called for increased military action against the Gaddafi regime. Perfect three out of three. In all fairness, however, international diplomacy isn't exactly the easiest thing to do in the world. McCain's international problem-solving visits then might just be a good indication that a country is mired in a deeply complicated crisis, often into which McCain believes the U.S. should intervene rather than the beginning of a beautiful friendship. On December 15, 2013, The Guardian reported on McCain's visit to the deadly riots. Senator John McCain on Sunday told thousands of Ukrainian protesters camped on Kiev's main square. They used to still spell it Kiev back then, you know. K-I-E-V. You ever seen that? Not in recent stories. Camped on Kiev's main square that Ukraine's destiny lay in Europe and that it would make Europe better. Ukraine will make Europe better and Europe will make Ukraine better, he said to crowds protesting against President Viktor Yanukovych's U-turn in trade policy away from Europe towards Russia. We are here to support your just cause, the sovereign right of Ukraine to determine its own destiny freely and independently, and the destiny you seek lies in Europe, said McCain, leading a Republican voice on a lead, I'm sorry, a leading Republican voice on U.S. foreign policy. And, of course, Ukraine did determine its own destiny by electing Viktor Yanukovych twice. Yanukovych, exercising the powers he was elected to exercise, rejected the destiny, which lies in Europe. Then foreign actors came to Ukraine again to interfere in their affairs. And much like the other foreign trips of Senator McCain, matters were not improved in Ukraine following the visit. 
In February of 2014, the government had agreed to an amnesty for protesters who, in turn, began to dismantle their barricades and leave public buildings they had occupied. Mr. Yanukovych and the opposition were talking about a coalition government and a return to the 2004 Constitution, which limited presidential powers. A world, the world breathed a, a wary sign of relief, yet less than 24 hours later, on February 18th, the agreement and parts of central Kiev were up in flames. On February 4th, a recording of a phone call between then-Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Nuland and U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine Jeffrey Piat appeared on YouTube. We do not know the precise date of the recording, but given that it was released on February 4th of 2014, we know that it was well prior to the fall of the Yanukovych government. In the recording, Newland is heard discussing who will and will not be a part of the new Ukrainian state, making it plain as day that the United States was engineering a coup. On February 21st, police abandoned Kiev. Rioters stormed government buildings and Yanukovych fled for his life into neighboring Russia. The Ukrainian parliament voted unanimously the next day after they had been threatened by rioters who took over their building— uh, to remove Yanukovych from power and return to the 2004 Constitution, which preceded Yanukovych's first election in 2005. In Ukraine, the president is limited to two five-year terms. Since Yanukovych's first victory was not officially recognized, he could have served a second term and been in office when Donald Trump came to power, in which case there would be no war going on there today. Or he could have been ousted the following year if that is what the Ukrainian people actually wanted. They could have sought their destiny in Europe then, but the U.S. State Department, for all their love of democracy, was not about to wait and see what the people of Ukraine wanted. They had to oust Yanukovych precisely because they knew that he would be reelected. Among those who helped this coup the most were the much-talked-about Nazi factions in Ukraine. While your humble correspondent is all too familiar with leftist hysteria regarding Nazis, in this instance, it is worth noting the involvement of these groups. Vladimir Putin said that he aims to denazify Ukraine. Western media said there are no Nazis in Ukraine, and famously they hold out Vladimir Zelensky's Jewish ancestry as a way to divert attention from this reality. TheGrayZone.com has detailed a confession about Nazi involvement in the 2014 coup. On uh, February 5th, 2022, only days before the full-scale war with Russia erupted, Yevgen Karas of the neo-Nazi C-14 delivered a stem-winding public address in Kiev uh, intended to highlight the influence his organization and others like it enjoyed over Ukrainian politics. Quote, LGBT and foreign embassies say there are not many Nazis at the Maidan. Maidan, that's the, uh, the, the revolution of dignity is the Maidan. Maybe about 10% of the real ideological ones, Karras remarked. He goes on to say, if not for those 8% of neo-Nazis, the effectiveness of the Maidan coup would have been dropped by 90%. The 2014 Maidan Revolution of Dignity would have been a gay parade if not for the instrumental role of neo-Nazis, he proclaimed. Karras went on to opine that the West armed Ukrainian ultranationalists because, quote, we have fun killing. He also fantasized about the balkanization of Russia, declaring that it should be broken up into five different countries. And uh, in the show notes for today, 
for episode 24 of stage one. I have actually embedded a tweet with the video of this, but the guy's speaking in Russian uh, or maybe Ukrainian. It's hard to tell the difference. Um, and uh, there's English subtitles, so it's of minimal interest to you, I believe, for the show. As for holding out Zelensky's Jewish ancestry as proof that there are no Nazis in Ukraine, this is an insult to intelligent people everywhere. It is well known and undisputed that Azov and other Nazi militias in the country are the plaything of one Igor Kolomoisky. The Algeminer, a which describes itself as a global news outlet covering, quote, matters of Jewish interest around the world, details Kolomoisky's uh, financing of groups uh, of these groups in a June 2014 article by Dave Bender. Among those going into battle from the Ukrainian side are some 500 trained fighters in the self-declared Azov Battalion, backed by Jewish energy magnate and Dnepropovist region governor Igor Kolomoisky, according to Israel's Mariv Daily. A Ukrainian military spokesman said pro-Russian separatists on Tuesday opened fire at a Ukrainian army position in the Donbass region and vandals blew up railway cars in Lugansk. Uh, in order to impede railway traffic in the area. A source at Ukraine's National Security Defense Council, cited by Voice of Russia, claimed that, quote, Kolomoisky is the most outspoken opponent of the plan on settling the situation in the east of Ukraine. So we have this Jewish energy magnate who is financing the uh, openly neo-Nazi assault battalion, and uh, he's the one who is most opposed to settling the conflict. Wow, that's really interesting. It's kind of... Kind of weird. The gray zone has more on Azov, Kolomoisky, and Zelensky's ties to one another. Quote, incorporated into the Ukrainian National Guard, the Azov Battalion is considered the most ideologically zealous and militarily motivated unit fighting pro-Russian separatists in the eastern Donbass region. With Nazi-inspired wolf go- uh, Wolfsangle insignia on the uniforms of its fighters, who have been photographed with Nazi SS symbols on their helmets, Azov is, quote, known for its association with neo-Nazi ideology and is believed to have participated in training and radicalizing U.S.-based white supremacy organizations, according to an FBI indictment of several U.S. white nationalists that traveled to Kiev to train with Azov. And I believe that that's from the, uh, from the RAM indictment, the Rise Above movement, if you're unfamiliar. In 2019, Kolomoisky emerged as a top backer of Zelensky's presidential bid. So you have the Jew who's funding the Nazis, funds another Jew to become president, okay? Uh, Though Zelensky made anti-corruption the signature issue of his campaign, the Pandora Papers exposed him and members of his inner circle stashing large payments from Kolomoisky in shadowy webs of offshore accounts. As one might expect, the Russian speakers who elected Yanukovych were none too happy about the coup or the fact that Nazis were in control of their country because, you know, like fighting Nazis, that's like the whole Russian thing, you know? Jewish financing notwithstanding, in Crimea and the Donetsk Basin, uh, better known as the Donbass region, Thousands of protesters took to the streets. They pleaded for the Russian Federation to protect them from the new regime in Kiev, which seemed a prudent thing to do since they were confronted by pro-Kiev demonstrators, including prominently the Nazi factions, and brutal melees broke out, leaving many injured. On February 27th, after a series of overnight raids, gunmen seized government buildings in Crimea, raised the Russian flag, and barricaded themselves inside. A standoff ensued, and Russian troops eventually went in and seized control of Crimea. 
In April of 2014, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk People's Republic both declared their independence from Ukraine. These newly formed governments received weapons and other assistance from the Russian Federation and a campaign of artillery shelling back and forth ensued, which continued until the outbreak of the 2022 invasion. It was just three months after the coup, while the country was in a de facto state of war with Russia, that Burisma announced that Hunter Biden had been hired to be on their board of directors. What you need to understand here is that this is not just corruption, it's military strategy. So far, we have heard very little about the SBU by name in our story. News outlets report misconduct on the part of the police, but never say anything about which agency those officers were involved with. The SBU is Ukraine's intelligence service, and it seems odd indeed that we do not hear about them in any contemporaneous news stories dealing with the violent overthrow of the government while foreign officials stoked the flames and planned the staffing of the new government prior to the fall of the prior one. Quoting from a July 2021 article in uh, the Security and Human Rights Monitor, Who guards your guardians? The answer to that question says much about the sort of state one lives in. Strong oversight over security and intelligence services is an essential feature of a well-functioning and healthy democracy. The lack of such oversight, meanwhile, is the hallmark of a police state. Are you effing kidding me? Excuse me a second. That's great. That's that's just great. Okay. Don't worry about it. My problem, not yours. I'll fix it. Ha! Unless kept in check, the intrusive nature of these services into citizens' lives can easily spiral out of control. For Ukraine, this question has been on the table for years, and especially since the Revolution of Dignity in 2014. The issue, the discussion has largely centered on the Security Services of Ukraine, or SBU, which has not undergone any significant reform since Ukraine's independence in 1991 and continues to be plagued by a Soviet legacy. The SBU remains immense in terms of powers and size. It currently combines broader counterintelligence functions with law enforcement functions on top of a militarized structure. Historically, the SBU has been used as an instrument of power by Ukraine's political elites and in particular its presidents to whom the SBU reports. The vast law enforcement powers in conjunction with discretionary counterintelligence competences have created opportunities for corruption, notably through using these powers to extort or capture businesses. The SBU has been accused of human rights abuses, particularly arbitrary detentions. Oversight of the SBU has been minimal. And we might here note that though the SBU answers to the president in theory, the fact that Viktor Yanukovych has been twice elected and twice overthrown seems to suggest that perhaps he's not in the driver's seat. Think about this for a minute. In 2021, the Security and Human Rights Monitor is saying that the SBU is little changed from its KGB legacy. This despite a 2018 law signed by Zelensky supposedly aimed at bringing about such a change. Which, by inference, inference, I should say, means it is all the less changed since the 2014 coup. 
From this, we infer their complicity therein. If the spy agency failed to stop a foreign coup, they would all be fired. If they had been implicated in a way that the new regime did not appreciate, they would all be in prison. Instead, everything is status quo for Ukraine spies. According to British political expert Taras Kuzio, the organizational structure of the SBU remains bloated in size compared to its predecessor, the Soviet Union, uh, Soviet Ukrainian KGB, because the total number of active officers is as high as 30,000 personnel. It is six times larger than the British domestic MI5 and external MI6 combined. These people are not lacking in resources or talent. <clears throat> Why does Ukraine have an espionage apparatus six times the size of Britain's, larger, in fact, than its KGB predecessor? Try to imagine a situation in which the overstaffed KGB-descended intelligence agency known for political corruption and extorting and capturing businesses just leaves the energy giant alone. <laughs> you guys do your thing. I don't need to know nothing about it. You know, they take no interest at all in that company hiring the crackhead son of a foreign politician. The agency just, yeah, you know, it's you guys, the private sector. We don't mess around with you. <laughs> That's not plausible. You know that, right? We talk about Biden and Burisma as if this is just some situation of the gas company faying off foreign officials. That's preposterous. It's an intelligence operation mired in political corruption and motivated in part by the war that corruption brought about. The U.S. State Department and the European Union wanted to open the floodgates to Ukraine. Viktor Yanukovych, wisely exercising the powers he was elected to exercise, rejected that deal. The war party violently overthrew his government with the help of Nazi criminals, then armed those same Nazi criminals so that they could wage war against Russia. Anybody who knows anything about the so-called white supremacist scene in the United States can tell you about pro-white activists being recruited to go to Ukraine and to fight and die in that war. On my Uncensored production, I spoke to a man by the name of Christopher Polhouse, who is planning on going into that conflict and doesn't much seem to mind if he dies there. He is encouraging others to join him in that suicide mission. The Democrats could hardly ask for anything better than that, could they? They wreck America, send their political enemies to fight and die against Russia, whom they have hated since it is not communist anymore. And they get the very unique benefit of a foreign intelligence agency helping them out here at home. Now, critics of calling this a Democrat operation will point to the involvement of names like Lindsey Graham and John McCain in the 2014 coup. Those people either need to pay more attention to politics or stop talking about it like they know anything. John McCain was a Democrat, and he only stopped being a Democrat when cancer in his brain killed him. Lindsey Graham remains a Democrat today. The Republicans in name only or rhino thing, it's very real. And people who ignore this for narrow interests within fringe political circles do themselves a disservice by tarnishing their own reputations with things that the informed know are nonsense. The Obama State Department overthrew the elected government of Viktor Yanukovych with the help of the SBU and their Ukrainian neo-Nazis. In return, they helped interfere in the 2016 election to assist Hillary Clinton. In January of 2017, in a piece titled Ukrainian Efforts to Sabotage Trump Backfire, Ken Vogel and David Stern detail some of the less controversial points of this plot. 
Ukrainian government officials tried to help Hillary Clinton and undermine Donald Trump by publicly questioning his fitness for office. They also disseminated documents implicating a top Trump aide in corruption and suggested they were investigating the matter, only to back away after the election. And they helped Clinton's allies research damaging information on Trump and his advisors, a Politico investigation found. A Ukrainian-American operative who was consulting for the Democratic National Committee met with top officials in the Ukrainian embassy in Washington in an effort to expose ties between Trump, top campaign aide uh, Paul Manafort, and Russia, according to people with direct knowledge of the situation. The Ukrainian efforts had an impact on the race, helping to force Manafort's resignation and advancing the narrative that Trump's campaign was deeply connected to Ukraine's foe to the east, Russia. But they were far less concerned or centrally directed from Russia's alleged hacking and dissemination of Democrat emails, says Politico, because Politico is a left-wing Democrat rag and is like, well, we better, we better bring this back to Russia real quick before we get in trouble with the people who pay us. Writing at the Hill in, in uh, 2019, John Solomon sheds more details, sheds light on more details of the Manafort leak. In a piece titled As Russia Collusion Fades, Ukrainian Plot to Help Clinton Emerges, Solomon writes, After nearly three years and millions of tax dollars, the Trump-Russia collusion probe is about to be resolved. Emerging in its place is a newly unearthed evidence uh, is newly unearthed evidence suggesting another foreign effort to influence the 2016 election this time in favor of Democrats. Ukraine's top prosecutor divulged in an interview aired Wednesday on Hill TV that he has opened an investigation into whether his country's law enforcement apparatus intentionally leaked financial records during the 2016 U.S. presidential election about then-Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort in an effort to sway the election in favor of Hillary Clinton. The leak of the so-called Black Ledger files to U.S. media prompted Manafort's resignation from the Trump campaign and gave rise to one of the key allegations in the Russia collusion probe that has dogged Trump for the first two and a half for the last two and a half years. Ukraine Prosecutor General Yuri Letsenko. His probe was prompted by a Ukrainian parliamentarian's release of a tape purporting to quote a top law enforcement official as saying the agency leaked the Manafort financial records to help the Clinton campaign. The parliamentarian also secured a court ruling that the leak amounted to an illegal intrusion into the American election campaign, Lutsenko told me. Lutsenko said the tape recording is a serious enough allegation to warrant opening a probe, and one of his concerns is that the Ukrainian law enforcement agency involved had frequent contact with the Obama administration's U.S. embassy in Kiev at the time. Today, we will launch a criminal investigation about this, and we will give a legal assessment of this information, Lutsenko told me. Lutsenko, before becoming prosecutor general, was a major activist against Russia's influence in the country during the tenure of Moscow-allied President Viktor Yanukovych. He became chief prosecutor in 2016 as part of anti-corruption reforms instituted by President Petro Poroshenko, an ally of U.S. and Western countries. Now, you notice again, we are hearing about law enforcement agencies. We're not hearing about which one, are we? You want to bet that some portion of this is coming from the SBU? But this is just what's obvious. There's less obvious things. We've heard so much about Russian bots and trolls, most notably from the now deceased Yevgeny Prigozhin's Internet Research Agency and how they supposedly helped sweep Donald Trump into power. 
But among the most noteworthy trolls in 2016 was a Jewish American named Andrew Ornheimer who went by the screen name of Weave. Weave was a computer hacker who was sent to prison for hacking AT&T. His conviction was overturned for jurisdictional causes, and he was released in April of 2014. He fled the United States, and according to his Wikipedia page, quote, following his release, Ornheimer lived for a time in Lebanon, Syria, and Ukraine. In 2016, he told an interviewer that he was living in Kharkiv. The Southern Poverty Law Center reported Ornheimer to have left Ukraine in 2017 for Tarasipol, the capital of Transnistria. So we was in Ukraine in 2016 during the election. After the election, according to the SPLC, which we might treat with some skepticism, he left for Transnistria. Weave was the, quote, CTO for the Daily Stormer, rumored to be the most popular neo-Nazi website on Earth, and in service to that rumor, was manipulating Alexa ranks to make the site appear more popular than it really was. Daily Stormer was not the only site that he did this for. Daily Stormer endorsed Donald Trump and spread the idea that Trump was a closet Nazi. American journalists, obsessed with Alexa ranks and with Nazis, ran with this narrative and used the Daily Stormer as a primary source for countless news articles spreading this narrative. And, of course, they tried to tie this in with Russia. Most notably, the ever-obsessed Luke O'Brien, writing in The Atlantic about Anglin, mentioned Russia by name no fewer than nine times. He mentions Ukraine, interestingly, zero times and conspicuously leaves out mention of this when talking about Weave. In a paragraph talking about how Weave and England come into contact with one another, O'Brien says this. In 2014, Anglin was living in Europe when he found a partner in Andrew Ornheimer, a.k.a. Weave, a neo-Nazi hacker and troll. Ornheimer grew up in the Ozarks and went to federal prison in 2013 on identity theft and hacking charges. After his uh, conviction was vacated on appeal a year later, he moved abroad. He now lives in Transnistria, a small Russian-backed breakaway region on Moldova's eastern border. Now, that is conspicuous indeed, don't you think? Weave was living in Ukraine during the 2016 election. O'Brien conveniently fails to mention this and says Weave is living in Transnistria, which is Russian-backed, a piece of information he gleaned from none other than the Southern Poverty Law Center. But Weave's last live journal entry is from 2017. It states that he loves Ukraine and that he has lived there for more than a year. In the comments section, he praises Pravi Sector, a Nazi fighting unit taking on the Russians in the Donbass. He issues in that post a dire warning, very ominous. I love my president as much as I love Ukraine. This presents a problem. My president hates your president. Your leaders have made grave mistakes. Just as I warned your country and its media about the impending election of Donald Trump, I will warn it once more. I worry that war will come. I love my city and I will not leave it. I want this place to succeed and it will need America's help to do so. But understand something. Nobody who is trying to help a man get elected to elected office in the United States, much less the presidency, associates that man with Nazism. This is what Democrats do to Republicans in the hopes of destroying their campaigns. Weave was in Ukraine after the Democrat coup, very shortly after the Democrat coup.
This Jewish American was hanging out with Jewish finance neo-Nazis with American backing, supporting their conflict against the Russians. He expected that Donald Trump would not help his friends in the war, so he called Donald Trump a Nazi. And this was easy enough for him to do with some credibility since he was immersed in the neo-Nazi culture of his new friends in Ukraine. We did not love Donald Trump. He was not trying to help him. He was trying to help Hillary Clinton because he knew his Ukrainian friends would need American support and that Hillary Clinton would provide it. This plan backfired. Instead of ruining Donald Trump's campaign, there was a growing white nationalist movement in the United States and Donald Trump in the White House. Obviously, this had to be stopped at all costs. And it will be beyond the scope of our inquiry today to detail the many ways we've and others set to bring this about. But his involvement in the Charlottesville Unite the Right rally and subsequent litigation bears mentioning. For details, you could view a thorough exposition on this by Hunter Wallace at Occidental Descent. He titled it um, uh, The Daily Stormer, The Vetting of Weave. That's at OccidentalDescent.com. Following Trump's election, the Daily Stormer engaged in a number of high-profile stunts, most notably the most notable of these was their involvement in the Unite the Right rally of 2017 in Charlottesville, Virginia. In advance of that event, we've published an article titled Operational Security for Right-Wing Rallies, which read like a criminal handbook on destroying evidence. This article was introduced as evidence through an expert witness in the Signs v. Kessler civil trial, which took place in October and November of 2021. Weave, notably, was not a defendant in that lawsuit. He was referenced by the plaintiffs only as the CTO of the Daily Stormer, and his name was conspicuously omitted in a campaign that was more about doxing and digging up information than it was about anything to do with the events in dispute. The plaintiffs knew his name, they knew who he was, and they chose not to mention him. The article had to be introduced through the expert witness because Weave was not called as a witness by the plaintiffs, and the federal rules of evidence uh, technically consider this hearsay. The only way that they could introduce the article was to have their expert witness comment on it. After the event, Weave accused me of ratting because I provided exculpatory evidence to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. He launched a campaign against me and against others that was relentless and defamatory and beyond the reach of U.S. defamation laws because he resides in Ukraine. After uh, the Daily Stormer, supposedly promoting an ethnocentric national socialist ideology, set about creating as many divisions in that movement as possible. Andrew Anglin described white women as evil and suggested their eggs should be harvested, fertilized by white men, and implanted into Asian women as incubators for future offspring. He set about creating class divisions, attacking the traditionalist worker party and others over optics. He set about creating generational divisions with relentless attacks on boomers. He eventually descended into advocacy of aspirational inceldom, in, in, involuntarily celibate incel inceldom. One need not embody the teachings of Jesus Christ to know that this is lunacy. One need only read Adolf Hitler. You do not have an ethnocentric movement, movement divide along sex, generation, and class. The whole entire point of such a movement is to unite the across these lines for racial unity. You certainly don't tell them to stop having sex. I illustrate these points only to shed light on the more pertinent, the part more pertinent to our story. 
The Daily Stormer was not Russian. It was Ukrainian. It was not the most popular neo-Nazi website. It was made to look that way by a Jewish criminal living in Ukraine who had most likely been recruited by the SBU. They did not try to help Donald Trump. They were trying to prevent him from becoming president because they figured Hillary Clinton would help them wage their war against Russia. And when that did not work, they destroyed the movement that they helped to create. The Western media blamed it all on Russia, and now we are involved in a proxy war therewith. And that's what happens in Ukraine, ladies and gentlemen. And if anybody tells you that it's something else, then that person is uh, dishonest or uninformed. There's no other way to put it. 217-688-1433 if you would like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Now, let me, uh, I should probably uh, rest my cords for just a minute here. And maybe the way that I'll go about doing that is uh, I should probably pull up, uh, let's see here. I'm going to pull up something and play it for you. I don't know exactly what yet. You know what I'll do? I'll play, I know exactly, I do know what I'm going to do. <clears throat> Pardon me. Where's this thing? Come on, you know. Yada 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 yada. We'll get we'll get there eventually. All my tabs had to be. There we go. I'll play this thing uh, with the subtitles. Oh, but now you got the audio. People, this is going to drive you crazy. No, that's not a good thing to play. Give me a second here. I'm sorry. Yes, of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Uh. Just six months ago, Trump's re-election seemed like a pretty tough bet for a lot of reasons, but let's boil it down. When both Google and the Chinese government consider you a mortal enemy, it's not so easy to win elections, and that may still be true. But now he's got a massive advantage. The Democratic Party has started working in earnest for Donald Trump, which is, and let's be honest about it, essentially what they've been doing. First, Democrats pursued an impeachment strategy that was so thoroughly dumb and nonsensical that in the end, it looked like a Republican plot. They literally impeached Donald Trump this week on Wednesday, and it helped him in the polls. <laughs> Bizarre. But if that wasn't weird enough, Democratic office holders started saying things that seemed expressly designed to alienate and enrage American voters. And not close call stuff, not you know calling for tax increases that polls show people don't really want. We've seen that before. Mike Dukakis tried that 35 years ago. In the end, it didn't work, but you didn't get the feeling that Mike Dukakis was actively trying to lose the election. But that's not the case with the Democratic primary debate in Leon Trotskyville. But this is the kind of thing Democrats have been saying for the last year as they jockey to become the Democratic nominee. Does anyone support this? Do people support putting men in women's prisons? Do they really support reparations for illegal aliens? Shutting down America's single most robust economic sector, energy? 
And by the way, do they really support free health care for illegal aliens? Letting convicted murderers vote from prison? How about identity politics? It doesn't matter what your color is, by the way. There's a lot of polling on this. Most people of all colors think identity politics is insane because it is. It's an incitement to tribalism and worse. People aren't for that. By the way, people don't support wasting a year trying to impeach and remove a democratically elected president because he wanted to investigate Hunter Biden's corrupt deal, whatever. All of this is crazy. So it doesn't matter who seems the most moderate or who's best looking or what color they are. It doesn't even matter. What matters is the things they're saying are crazy and people aren't for them and will never be for them. Why are they doing this? Because the Democratic Party has been taken over by extremists. Instead of seeing ordinary Americans as their constituents, they see them as evildoers who must be. Just six months ago, Trump's re-election seemed okay, like a pretty right. tough so, bet. Anyway, for a lot of reasons. Welcome back to Surreal Politics. Shut up, Tucker Carlson. Google. Shut up, Tucker. Shut up. Let's go to the phones. Caller, you are on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you, sir? Hello, this is Hatting. Hello, Hatting. Can you hear me all right? I can, sir. Okay. Okay, good. All right. Uh, <clears throat> I want to comment on what you've been discussing. Um, you used some information from the gray zone. Yes. Which, uh, it's better than the big networks, but uh, in some ways they pull their punches. Uh, when you have hosts with names like Max Blumenthal and Aaron, Jay Mate, just certain things they don't like to say. And uh, regarding Ukraine, they never stop emphasizing that the country is run by Nazis. They just never stop talking about that. The U.S. government is sending... I understand that, like... Go ahead, go ahead. Well, yeah, the U.S. government is sending aid to Nazis! Oh, my God! I mean, that's basically their... Endless drumbeat. Well, I understand, I understand, and I understand why you know you would think it not that big of a deal that the uh, that the U.S. government was sending money to Nazis. But the point I that's think that's being made is that it actually is a big deal that the U.S. government sends money to Nazis, right? So, like the U.S. government is like, oh, white supremacy is the global terror threat, and that's why we have to lock up Republicans. And then they're like, here's a stinger missile, here's a javelin, okay? And then and then the Nazis go on television. And they're like, yeah, the U.S. government is giving us javelins. We're going to use this to, you know, lead our uh, global revolution, right? And the thing is, so, like, this is completely nuts is kind of the idea. And, and I think that, you know, what you have to go to these websites that are not fans of this in order to get information about it because, you know, the, the, the rest of the media is like, oh, there's no Nazis in Ukraine. We actually happen to know that that's not true. And so when, you know— when one liar is giving you a, one lie, you have to go to the other liar and, you know, try to, you know, triangulate the truth. Uh, no, it's not completely nuts. It's actually a typical Zionist uh, strategy because, uh, you know, maybe you know, maybe you don't know. In Syria, the state of Israel has uh, given assistance to uh, the head head choppers over there, right? right. Uh, people you would pres- presume would be anathema to Jews. Oh, Jews must be horrified at these. No, they support them. 
No, they, they right? I know they, um, they patch them up and send them back. They give them weapons. I mean, the U.S. is involved in all this nonsense over there, right? And, they, you know, it's another proxy war. The enemy of my enemy is my friend is, for the moment, is how they look at it, right? And they just use whatever forces are available, whatever suckers are out there that can be roused to do something foolish on their behalf. That's what they'll use. All right. So in 2014, they stirred up Ukrainian nationalism uh, to a level that was actually self-destructive for Ukrainian nationalism. And they overthrew Yanukovych. But in late 2014, this, uh, this Azov battalion, I don't know if you knew this, Azov battalion was taken over by the government. It had been a political militia. It was taken over by the government. It got new commanders, and uh, it lost its political character and became known as the Azov Regiment. Right. That's late 2014 that happened. So this was no longer what it had been. I don't think that that's true, actually. I mean, you know, there's there's pictures of these guys now with the wolf's angle, right? I mean, it's not it, – it's actually – like they, they did this silly PR mission. Yeah, they brought them into the government or whatever. There's actually a video. There's there's a video in the gray zone. I mean, it's not translate. They They do the translating for you. But there's a video that they say is Vladimir Zelensky talking to the Azov guys, and and he's like, "Hey, get the weapons out of there!" And they're telling him, "No." They're like, "They're like, we're not going to do it. I'll bring a thousand fighters down here. You're not going to stop us," you know. And so, like, you know, they're they're a force in the politics down there, and they're not, you know, they're, they they you know a thing or two about National Socialism, Hanning. People don't just like. You know, they don't just get a job and then stop being Nazis, right? It's not how that works, right? The Azov unit is only a very small part of U Ukraine's armed forces. I understand that. It's like 900 uh, people, you know. And so, like, yeah, you know, so, so like, and, you know, but that's the last number that we have, of course. And, you know, these guys were actively involved in recruiting people from the United States. Like, I know guys who went over there, you know. I know, and, and famously, not so long ago, you know, we, we talked to a guy who's about to go over there. And so, like, you know. They're involved in all this stuff, and I mean, they're still recruiting, you know, Westerners to go over there and join this stupid coup. And, you know, well, it's not a coup anymore. Now they're waging war against Russia. And so, like, you know, and they're still using that marketing to do it. It's not it's not a secret. Yeah, I think the guy who was running it when it was still a political militia, I think his name was Biletsky. Yeah, he's no and longer. He, he joined the parliament. Yeah, he's not in there anymore. Uh, and it's under the defense secretary, Mr. Reznikov. <clears throat> All right, who's very Jewish looking. Um, also confirmed he was a Jew. But yeah, so the Azov Battalion was nationalized in late 2014. There's maybe some residual nationalist character to the unit. All right, they still, for a long time, they kept that kind of inverted Wolfsangle with the uh, with the with the uh, black sun behind it for a long time they kept that but I think they just got rid of it last year actually they don't use that anymore because it'd be coming a PR right. problem you know uh, they, they're like you know I mean you know if they what they had their own optics war like we did in 2018 come on you know <laughs> <clears throat> 
Well, let me tell you something else I run across. Um, I see people all the time when they want to disagree with the Ukrainian war. They're constantly posting pictures of what are supposed to be Ukrainians displaying swastikas. <clears throat> you know, like there's this one guy that has the number 28 tattooed on the side of his shaved head. I've seen in a number of different pictures, and he has a big old swastika on his torso. And um, I, there's been some other pictures that I've seen that had swastikas in them. Every time that I've been able to trace the origins of one of these pictures, they always turned out to be from 2015 or earlier. They're all from 2015 or earlier. And I discovered that some months ago, and I just found out very recently why that is. Why are all these pictures from 2015 or earlier? It's because in 2015 it became illegal to display a swastika. It actually became illegal. There was a law called the uh, decommunization law. Uh, I found out about, I got information about it from The Guardian. Uh, 20th of April, 2015, story by Lily Hyde. It says uh, the Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko is expected to sign a package of laws on decommunization. The laws ban Nazi and communist symbols. So that's that's why that's why every time I try to trace a picture of a Ukrainian with a swastika, it always turns out to be from 2015 or earlier, because it's not legal to show those anymore. All right, so that's one thing. Well, Another if, thing, if you, you if you know, look at if you look at Russian media, they'll they'll show you these things in the on the prisoners of war, you know. But okay. Well. Uh, it's, not, it's not legal to display them after 2015. But, the, you know, the, the RT, of course, has a particular bias. I learned from RT, for example, that Svoboda is, as they called it, the Nazi party of Ukraine. That's what RT said. And I just did a little very simple research about Svoboda. I found out in the 2018 election they got 2% of the vote. They were down from something like 15%. You know, uh, and uh, with 2%, they have no participation in the government. So Svoboda is not a force in Ukraine whatsoever at this point. Um, and I don't know if you know this. In, in September of 2021, anti-Semitism was made illegal in Ukraine. The parliament, the Ukrainian parliament made anti-Semitism illegal. And then in early 2022, anti-Semitism became a felony. It's a felony in the Ukraine to criticize Jews. Well, um, Jews tend to do that. And I'm not sure that that's dispositive of the point that we're making here, which is that the Nazi factions exist. Maybe they have removed some of their branding to deal with realpolitik in a situation. Zelensky knows he's about to be invaded by Russia and that Russia is saying that he's going to denazify the country. And so, you know, he takes steps to uh, diminish that view. Now, I think that Vladimir Putin could, you know, think of better war propaganda than we're fighting Nazis. I think that that's silly, obviously. But, you know, this is what's going on. I'm just, you know, the, the, the reason I bring these things up is because it demonstrates on the part of the of the Western powers and on the part of the Ukrainian government, 
dishonesty. That's the only thing I'm trying to bring up. I'm not saying that, like, I'm not bringing this up to be like, oh, the, you know, the Ukrainian government is a Nazi regime and they're very bad because they're Nazis. I'm saying that there's a bunch of Jews funding Nazi militias to go get these people killed in a war with Russia and that this is a great idea for the Biden administration because he gets to kill everybody that he doesn't like. Yeah, but they're not they're not Nazi militias anymore. Well, the, the Azov, you're, 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 the Azov, you're pointing out that you're pointing out that. It's illegal to be a Nazi militia, and that for that reason that they have shown their symbols less prominently, but it doesn't mean that they that they aren't what they are. You know, they're still they're still marketing in this way. I mean, Pole House is talking about going over there now. You know, it's not it's not it's not a subject that's seriously in dispute. Can I I just say that Pole House is a fucking idiot? Hey, this is surreal politics. Why don't you just call him an idiot without dropping the F-bombs? Come on. At least say sorry for the F. I usually don't do that. But anyway, yeah, sorry for the F. Okay. But anyway, I, I just find that guy extraordinarily <clears throat> displeasing. But uh, <clears throat> I got a little off track here. Um, yeah, there, I, I, look, I've, I've had a long-term communication with a girl in the Ukraine whose father was actually, uh, I think he was a, a POW kept in Ukraine after the Second World War. And uh, so he was a German, actually. So she's like half Ukraine, half German. And there's part of Ukraine, Western Ukraine, is actually very nationalist. They're very nationalist in Western Ukraine. And there's, you know, a lot of Ukrainians in the Second World War regarded the Germans as liberators. It's a fact because of their circumstances. Now, people, a lot, what you get a whole lot is people are interpreting this as a, oh, the Ukrainians are Nazis. No. The Ukrainians are Nazis. And that's not what it is. I'm not saying that 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 the whole of Ukraine is National Socialist Germany, okay? I'm saying, and I don't, you know, I can't, I can't speak for, you know, I'm not telling you that Russian media is correct in everything that they say. I'm saying that we know for a fact that, you know, that pro-white people in the United States go over to f- train with these guys and that the propaganda that they're fed to do that is that they're going to, like, wage a global race revolution, okay? Like, that's actually not in dispute, okay? And, and so, like, that's actually— They're stupid asses. I know that they are stupid asses. I'm, I never said that they were geniuses. I'm saying that this is what they're doing. Okay, and so like it's actually not it's actually not a subject in serious dispute that these guys are wearing like national socialist insignias, and that they are still wearing them while they're waging the war, and that they're using that propaganda to recruit Americans to join the fight for them against Russia, and that that is incredibly stupid. I agree. But they're doing it. It's actually like it's it's definitely happening. Well, wait a minute. Now, you, you let's get down to what I was getting at here. All right. I, I know perfectly well that there are Ukrainian nationalists. There are a lot of Ukrainian nationalists, especially in the Western Ukraine. All right. And these people do not view uh National Socialist Germany as necessarily worse than the Soviet Union, which is a, it's, it's a different question from Stepan Bandera. You constantly hear, well, Stepan Bandera, he was a Nazi. Well, is that why Himmler had him in the concentration camp for three years? 
You know, yeah, no, he he was not he was not their collaborator. You know, he had his own Ukrainian nationalist thing. Uh, I, I think we're splitting really hairs here over the point. Okay, so like they're using Nazi insignia. No, actually, no, no. It's very important. It's very important. The, the, because, they get because to the important part because we got to make good radio. Okay, because this is getting a little bit in the weeds. Go ahead. When, when, when lump, lumping things together that are different like that is what propaganda does. I understand that. Together we're, things we're dealing, that are different. We're dealing with a lot of propaganda here, adding so like okay, like it is not the most pertinent thing. That, that these guys are not dogmatic German, like, I mean, come on. So they're running around with Nazi insignias. That's not in dispute. They're recruiting Americans to come you join them. Have Nazi you propaganda. been there? How many do you think are doing that? How many do you think are doing that? I, I, you know, I, I'm not over there to count them hatting. I've seen the pictures of the POWs. I've seen the pictures of them with the damn Wolfsangle flags, okay? So, like— From RT. I, well, they're not just from RT, but yeah, in RT. So, like, if you want to go find out about when Russian, when Western media is lying about the conflict, you go look at the other side, right? So, this is not, it's not, and by the way, like yeah, I said, it's both, not just them. Both sides are lying. Come on, but even before, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting a little annoyed here, okay? We're, we're splitting hairs because we know that they're doing, this is not in serious dispute. Before the conflict broke out, they were recruiting guys. I, I can't name names, but, like, I know guys who, like, went over there for this, okay? You know, the Ram guys went over there. They, they were doing, like, you know, you know, Nazi fight club stuff, okay? And, like, there's a lot. There's a lot of this material. It's not just RT. I mean, this a lot of stuff happened before the conflict broke out, or at least before the 2022 conflict broke out. You know, I mean, this is going on for a very long time, and so like the U.S. state, the U.S. government considered the the Azov Battalion and all those things, you know, like terror threats in the United States because of this. And they were using this as evidence against guys who, in the United States, to say, "Oh, you went over there to go train with this Nazi militia, and now you're back in the United States." We're using that as evidence evidence against you in court. So, like, it's this is really this is a long running thing. Okay, listen. <clears throat> Displaying swastikas was outlawed in 2015. I heard you. You're the repeating vote. yourself. The, yes. The, the, let, let me, we're on a radio show. You can't do let this, me, okay? All right, the Wolfsangle got by for a few years because people didn't recognize it as a so-called Nazi symbol, but they finally got rid of that too last year. All right. Yeah. And my my when my the, point when, is when the propaganda got to be a step, problem. These Banderites, the lovers of Stepan Bandera, they're mainstream in Ukraine. Stepan Bandera got named as hero of Ukraine in 2010. All right, that's mainstream over there. That's Ukrainian nationalism. They don't generally consider themselves to be people who would display swastikas, all right? That's not their thing. But that's what you get media over here, including the gray zone, portraying, all right, that these people, that there's all these Nazis. Over. No, not really. You got a few people like that. I, I used to know one, I told you. And but the bottom line is they have zero representation in the government. They don't have any. And the only reason why the these guy, people are kept I'm fighting sorry. is because the, the guy they're left, deluded. The guy left the the Azov battalion to go join the parliament, right? I mean, there's not zero. They got more influence there than we do, you know. So, like, you know, yeah. I, I think that, which guy? 
you, the, Berlitz, I forget his name, Belletsky or whatever. Belletsky. Okay, so he left the he but left the battalion. So he left the battalion. So so they help overthrow yeah. the government is kind of the whole entire point here, Hatting. You know, so they they overthrew the government. Okay, and then their guy went into the parliament. <laughs> you know, and then they started fighting the war in Russia. And throughout the history of this thing, you know, I, I can't detail every involvement of them. In my in my opening monologue, but I mean, uh, there's a lot of other stuff that I read today. If you want the source material, I'll give you the, the, the bookmarks that I have, okay? That, like, you know, Poroshenko was saying that these are the best fighters that we have, okay? So, like, they're important, and they basically ran Mariupol, and nobody can touch them. Zelensky goes over there and tells them to cut the, cut the stuff, and they, and they uh, you know, whatever. So, anyway... Yeah, but again, that's only one unit. I've, I've told you they don't have any political power, and that's all I have to say. Thank you very much for the call, my friend. 217-688-1433, if you would like to be on the program. Sorry, buddy, we already said goodbye, and then, and then you know, and then you start t- talking more. Caller, you're on uh, Surreal Politics. What can I do for you? Hey, speaking of the uh, enemy of my enemy is my friend, can you hear me okay, Chris? Yeah, I hear you fine, pal. Go ahead. All right, so uh, have you heard of this character, Charles Bowsman? Uh, doesn't ring a bell. Uh, he is uh, instrumental in uh, funding, you know, part of, like, uh, the NJP and TRS and stuff. Okay. He's, uh, you know, he's been criticized by, you know, you know, former friends of yours and what have you quite quite uh, you know, vigorously. He was uh, involved in January 6th and what have you supposedly fled to Russia after that. Okay. Um, well, I mean, again, speaking of my enemy, my enemy is my friend. These guys, uh, you know, the NJP had their launch party at his, uh, at his, uh, farm thing. I'm so, I'm surprised you're not, uh, more informed on the subject. But that's I think fine. this guy, he fled to Russia while in 2020, was it? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was, I didn't have internet access when that happened. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. He's, um, you know, he's, I guess he's connected to, uh, you know, whatever they would call billionaires or oligarchs or whatever in Russia. Um, but he's quite connected and, uh, well funding the, uh, NJP and TRS and what have you, uh, on the, uh, you know, on the Russian side. So I think, you know, that might have some s- sort of form of influence on, what would be described as our spheres of politics. Well, you know, I don't doubt that Russia has had some involvement in American politics. You know, I, I, on my uncensored production, I had an interview with Maria Butina, and Maria Butina was over here trying to prevent a war. She was over here trying to, like, make ins with the Republican Party and whatnot, and she was uh, famously prosecuted for being an unregistered foreign agent, uh, although she was not employed by any government agency of the Russian Federation. Um you know, I did not probe the circumstances of her of her relationship with the Russian government at the time. She's now a member of parliament over there. Um, you know, and to the extent that the Russian government may be involved in moving things in a rightward direction in the United States, you know, I don't think that that's a bad thing for the Russian Federation to do. And so, you know, there's that. But I, I don't think that the Russian government would be trying to help Donald Trump by making him out to be a Nazi. That sounds like something that somebody who doesn't want to help Donald Trump does. You know what I'm saying? 
No, that makes sense. But like, uh, and like anybody who thinks that that uh, you know there isn't foreign interference in elections is pretty misguided, I would say. But um, you know, this guy. Uh, there's a lot of people who think this guy is sort of like the the benefactor, the main sort of golden goose of uh, of dissident right politics. Well, you know, I, uh, I I don't know enough about it to say. I imagine that uh, you know I'm not calling into question the veracity of the of the things that you've told me but uh you know i have no idea you know i, I have no information about financial tractions be- between this guy and the njp or trs and so i'm just hearing you say this on the show and live in real time and i don't have any information about that but you know so this guy but this guy was i mean he fled to russia but i mean he was in the united states right i mean he was involved in like wasn't he involved it was he, he was in january 6th he he was he was involved in January sixth, and then he basically went and took asylum in in Russia, right? Yeah, he fled prosecution. It, it seems it seems to be. And so, like um, you know, and so you know, I don't, I don't. I, what is what is the what does this matter? Tell me why. What does this matter? Well, the main thrust of it is that people are saying that he's the main, like the golden goose of TRS. So why does why NJP does it matter that he's the golden like, goose? It's, well, it's, he pays. It's, he's it's Putin back. So, but was what's the evidence that he was Putin back before he went to Russia? Um, the, the, well, the, the evidence that he's Putin back before I don't know. But people are saying that he's Putin back. I'm not entirely certain of the of the, of the whole thing. So the guy's got but, some uh, money. He's a big he, so, so of Alexander so, Dugan. So like the guys, the guy's an American, right? He's in America and he's doing American things. He's got land in America. He owned land. Well, Bowsman. I mean, we can we can you know we can make inferences by the last name there. I I you know the name doesn't ring a bell to me that I would know the ethnicity of Bowsman, but like, but hmm. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, I mean, if you have an inference from the name, let me know. I, I, I'm not an expert on these things. So I do have an inference for the name, but I, I would probably save it for the uncensored. Production. Okay. So you're saying that the guys of Jewish ancestry. That's how it seems to be. Okay. He's a big supporter of progression. Uh, is that the other thing that, you know, uh, these guys are, yeah, these guys are big Dugan supporters. They're big uh, Euro Eurocentrics, or uh, you know, I don't know. It, 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 it seems a bit it, it seems a bit weird to me. Like again, I don't I don't support like I don't I don't think anybody un, unfettered support for the Ukraine is uh, is a little bit misguided in in my assumption. I'm sorry. Say it again. Unfettered support for Ukraine. Well, I, you know, unfettered, unfettered support, support for, for Ukraine. Ukraine is misguided. Yes, I, I agree with that. And so, like, you know, the uh, I um, okay. Continue with your point. Sorry. Yeah, unfettered support for Ukraine is is misguided in my in my position. But also, too, is that you can't discount um, what's happening with our you know section or our little group of politics. We go for however fringe we may be, uh, there are some influences coming from uh, certain sectors of Russia. Anybody that thinks that's not that that's not real is, I think, misguided. Well, the thing, the question is, you know, what is the influence, I guess, you know, and so a guy who's an American, who's in America, who is doing things in America and happens to have some money, gets in legal trouble, goes to Russia. That actually seems like a really 
reasonable thing for an American to do, right? And so, I, I, like, the fact that that he, you say he's like a, a Dugan fan, like, I never hear about Dugan except from, like, crackpot circles. It's the only place I ever hear about this Dugan guy. You know, I understand that, like, Spencer married her, his translator or something, you know, but, like, I read Fourth Political Theory. It's not a groundbreaking intellectual work. He's not a big deal in Russia, as a matter of fact. People in Western media call him Putin's brain, which is obnoxious. It's not true. You know, there's not like there's no, you know, Russian media is not like Dugan, Dugan, Dugan. They don't do this. This is a Western phenomenon. How do, how do, how do you know that it's not true, though? Like, how do you know that he has no influence in the uh, in the Kremlin? Because if he had influence, you'd hear about it. The only place you hear about this is well, in Western I don't know. media. They killed his daughter. Yeah, so the, they killed his daughter. Yeah, so. So the Ukrainians killed his daughter. You know, and so like the Ukrainians are running around murdering people. It's not surprising to me that they murder an innocent girl. You know, that's that's not terribly shocking. No, exactly. So. It, it, but it was, you know, again, uh, I'm not saying she's completely, uh, you know. Not uh, she wasn't without influence, but I mean, if they they wouldn't go around targeting, because they killed her in a car bomb, did they not? Yeah, they 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 put it. They they it sounds like a targeted car. attack. Yeah, they they assassinated. Yeah, so a, I mean, an if he doesn't girl. have any, if he doesn't have any influence, why are they going around targeting his family members? I'm not saying that he has no influence. Or are they I'm just that, being, you know, blood libelous and, and malicious? Well, I'm saying that you, you, Ukraine is backed by the Western media, and the Western media is running around saying Dugan, 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 and so Ukraine goes and does what their paymasters want. That sounds like a pretty reasonable assessment of it to me. Okay, fair enough. And there are, you know, other contemporaries or uh, former peers of yours have gone on about this this Bowsman guy and and, and yeah, what have you. I just wanted to, I wanted to see what your take on it. But I guess, yeah, yeah, if you haven't researched too much in the subject, then yeah, the Bowsman guy. I, what uh, I what call. I know about Bowsman <laughs> is that you know that he. Uh, I'm hearing from the chat that he like runs the Russia Insider website, which is kind of a funny thing because what I know about Russia Insider is that it's not inside Russia. Like it was like it was like an alt right gag, and you know, and kind of a misguided one in my view because how much should I say about this? Because hmm. You know, it, this was something that basically this was like a bunch of alt writers started this website and starting like acting like they were involved with Russia when they were not you know, like they for factually were not. And so, you know, you're you're basically doing this thing that's feeding into a Western media narrative that the that the alt right is some kind of like Russian plot, which is just it's I don't know why they would do something like that. It doesn't seem like a good strategy to me. But, you know, the people who did that were involved in a lot of things I thought were strategically unwise. And so it's fits a pattern. No, exactly. And I, you know, cause I'm trying to make heads and tails of it. Like I don't know entirely. So I figured I'd call and see if what, what uh, you had to think about it. Cause I think, again, it seems like, you know, one of those cases of my, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. We don't know what's going on in this situation. Well, you know, the, the enemy of so my enemy might not be my friend, but he can, he can more accurately be my weapon. Right. And so, you know, that's the whole thing with, you know, Biden and the Ukraine Nazis. He's like, you know, he's not friends with those people, but he'll give them weapons to go get themselves killed fighting Russians, right? And so, you know, that's the, that's kind of the thing. And so, you know, Russia, uh, you know, their whole cultural narrative is is wrapped up in fighting Nazis, right? You know, you can't, you can't be a Nazi in Russia. <laughs> um, and so, 
the idea that Russia's, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't have any information about this, but the guy, the guy you're talking about, Bowsman, was basically started this website, called it Russia Insider. It was not a Russia Insider type of thing. It was portraying itself as something it was not. And then after he got in legal trouble in the United States, he fled the country and he went to Russia because Russia is a place where an American fugitive can live without, you know, being being caught by American authorities. And so, you know, that doesn't that doesn't tell me very much in my view. And so that's my that's my take. Okay, on it. fair enough. I just I wanted to get yeah, I wanted to get your your two cents on it because I'm trying to make heads and tails of it. Yep. All right. Thank you very much for the call, my friend. 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk, the less I have to. So please give us a call. Caller, you're on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you today? Hi, Chris. Um, Oliver Anthony, have you heard or do you have any thoughts on him being AstroTurf? I, I think that he uh, said some stupid stuff on Fox News about diversity being our greatest stench. I mean, strength. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been like, I mean, AstroTurf, I've, I've heard about this, that whatever he was like, he was, um, you know, he received promotional assistance from people who are like, you know, politically interested. If there's anything you could do to cut down on your background noise, I'll appreciate it, buddy. You got your, your audio is bad. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so, so like, you know, the idea that it's AstroTurf is just nonsense. It's people who don't understand the music industry and who are like conspiratorial and probably jealous. Um, they're saying that because, you know, somebody who basically helped him promote the song was like a fan of Ron DeSantis and there was money spent that this is, you know, some like manufactured thing. And, you know, that's a bunch of nonsense because you can't manufacture what happened with rich men north of Richmond. OK, like I had never heard anybody who whose opinion I valued say anything about this guy. I saw the song when somebody tweeted it at me and I was like, wow, that's awesome. And I imagine that's what happened with the millions of people who who listened to the thing and were like, this is great. OK. And so, you know, the fact that he received promotional assistance from people with money is like business that's like how music works you know i don't i wish that somebody with money would help me out you know some people do you know and so like you know if somebody goes and like pays me a bunch of somebody gives me a bunch of money and then i go buy some advertisements or something it doesn't mean that like my podcast is manufactured by some kind of conning plot it just means that i receive promotional assistance it's the same thing with him and of course like after this happens you know subsequent to all these people who are just complete I'm sorry, like, I, I shouldn't call them complete idiots, but, like, that's my impulse, frankly. You know, there's people in this thing who, like, find out that, you know, he got a couple of bucks from some DeSantis backer, and it's like, oh, he's a plot They start bashing the guy, and then after they're bashing the guy, then he goes on Fox News and says, diversity is our greatest strength. And, and then they're like, see, I told you so. And I'm like, no, I told you so. Like, you, you go and you attack the guy, and then he throws you under the bus. What did you think was going to happen? You know? So, like, I get really I'm so fed up with that whole entire story because he's not like he's some guy who wrote a song. You know, he's a, he was like a drunk and he, you know, whatever. So, like, he made a song. The song got popular. He received promotional assistance. There's nothing nefarious going on here. And the fact that, you know, then then he's co-opted after the fact to, you know, enter into the popular narratives about, you know, racial unity or whatever. It's like, of course he is. Of course he, of course. Like, what did you think was going to happen? You know? 
Okay. Um, okay, that's the, la- the last part I disagree on. I-, I liked everything you said before that. I didn't hear about the DeSantis thing. I first heard of- – are you familiar with Owen Benjamin? Uh, I, the name rings a bell. What, what's his thing again? Okay. He, Owen Benjamin, he's been in a bunch of Adam Sandler movies. I mean, he was in Hollywood. He left Hollywood because he, um, his agent didn't want to work with him anymore because he of certain things he used to talk about and tweet about. So um, Owen Benjamin right away said, this is AstroTurf. And he said his first set, the first line of the song is, I sold my soul. He goes, he's telling you right there, guys. And then Owen Benjamin, he went through the whole song. He's like, this is this guy. If he really was this blue-collar guy, horrible life, this and that, he wouldn't have sold out so quickly from pressure, that last part you just mentioned. I'm sorry. Say it again. The last last part part you mentioned about how, of course, by everybody cracking down on him, of course he went and said, oh, yeah, diversity is our strength. Owen said right away, he's like, no. He goes, a guy who really was from that background he's talking about a real salt of the earth farmer type dude who doesn't care about the media doesn't isn't on social media doesn't care what people say because he's a farmer and owen's a farmer now he goes that guy's not going to care what people say he's not going to know what people say he's not involved in it so it's all a work and then he says i bet the guy's next song is going to be promoting war boom the guy's next song comes out he's promoting war I don't think it tells us much that he said, I've been selling my soul. He didn't say I sold my soul. He said, I've been selling my soul working all day, overtime hours for BS pay, which is to say that, like, he's not happy with his job situation is the narrative of the song. It's not, I sold my soul to Satan and this is my dog whistle to you, right? That, that's that's not what that is. And so, you know, well, you know beginning with that is, is sort Chris, of... Chris, you don't say... You don't say, I sell my soul, to say, I have a hard job, I have a hard life. People have, Owen went over this. Well, that that is a rather before. less dramatic way of stating it. And so, you know, if you know anything about art, you know, sort of like adding a little bit of drama to the, to the adding a little flair to what you're doing, taking a little bit of artistic license is sort of part of the practice. And so if you want to say, I've been working very hard today, or you want to say, I've been selling my soul, one of these things is more dramatic than the other. And if you're an artist, you might have a preference between the two, don't you think? Fair enough. Now, here's the thing. Neither of us know what's in his mind. So I'll jump back to the movie. Have you ever heard of the movie Wag the Dog? Yes, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. I know. I understand the theme is... Go ahead. Well, it's interesting because... They hire in the movie. They hire Will, Willie Nelson to come up with some song that will distract the country from what's going on and unite people and this and that. And the song sounds just like his song. And I'm sitting there listening to his song because people are talking about it, and I didn't hear about it until like a week later. And I'm, I'm going, "This is reminding me of that movie." And then right away, checked out Owen's stuff. Yeah, he's saying the same thing. Um, again. I don't have definitive proof. It's, you know, we're having a conversation. I'm not going to, you know, prove anything now. You're not going to prove anything. But it's not about the DeSantis thing. It's not about follow the money. It's about here's a guy who out of nowhere, you know, he blows up. And you talk about, um, you know, how did he blow up so fast because people liked it, whatever. They, they shadow ban stuff, but they also promote stuff. If the establishment did create this guy, they can easily make his stuff go viral. Would you agree? Well, I, as a matter of fact, we, we understand exactly how it went viral, right? So, like, he, he basically paid for promotional assistance, okay? And so, you know, popular people 
promoted the thing. That's what happened. And then people liked it when they heard it, and then they, they spread it. That's, you know, that's not in dispute. Now, can they algorithmically manipulate things at the social media companies? Yeah, that's why I'm not a millionaire, right? So, like, we know that they do that. So, you know, they can promote things as easily as they can suppress them, yes. We don't have any information about that. What we have information about is that, you know, these people who were basically – you know, politically interested and had a bunch of money, went and made sure that this was heard by, you know, prominent conservative media personalities who then promoted the song, which caused the song to go viral when they tweeted it out to their millions of followers. Okay. Um, conservative media personalities, do you consider them to be on the level or do you consider them to be working for the establishment? I, I don't consider them to be either or, right? So, you know, if you want to participate in politics, you know, you're going to have some involvement with people who are involved in politics. And like the paranoia about that on-off switch about that is part of what's destroying our efforts to gain power. And I and I find it distasteful. And so like, you know, <laughs> you, you know, so like, you know, is Ben Shapiro on oh my God. side? Absolutely not. You know what I'm saying? You know, I had some respect for, you know, Michael Knowles until he went and, you know, discredited himself with the whole Rose City Nationalist thing, you know, and, you know, what, who else? You know, you know, Joe Rogan uh, tweeted the thing out. And, you know, sometimes I like what Joe Rogan says. Sometimes I don't. You know, I don't think that anybody is like I don't I don't think that most people conceive of themselves as for or against the system or whatever like that's like that's a silly idea that that pervades throughout you know fringe political circles that we should rid ourselves of okay number one you're that's an ad hominem attack number two you're accusing me of light switch brain number three you were attacking my point but then you went on to list ben shapiro michael Knowles, who aren't on our side. Well, you're, you're asking me so, a question if I think that conservative okay, media personalities are on the level, okay? So, like, I named some media personalities yeah. who I'm talking about and what my thoughts on them were. It's just my, my response to you. Okay. So here's the thing, though. It, it, without engaging in ad hominem, some people look at it like I'm going to participate in the system. Or I'm so don't, don't stupid crap. I'm hanging up on you because you keep on talking about ad hominem. OK, you're on a radio show. I'm answering your point. If you want to go and, you know, argue with me about semantics, then go call another show. Caller, you're on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you? I am interested in your thoughts on Brenton Terrence's claim that he was trained by Azov. Provided we accept Terrence's claims, do you think that there is a broader political strategy in the U.S.? Or are they merely content with the death of ethnically homogenous people in Russia and Ukraine? I've got a second question after that. So uh, are you saying – are you asking me to accept as true Terrence's claim because that claim is disputed, you know? No, I was asking you uh, whether you thought his claim was accurate or uh, – I, I don't, I don't believe that the claim is. I, my understanding – because if he actually had done that, Western media would be anxious to blow that information up. They ran with that narrative in, initially is my understanding, but it is now uh, – that, that theory is now discredited. I don't believe that he actually did go to train with Azov. He, he, he's, uh, my understanding is he said that in the manifesto, but that he did not actually go. And I, and I actually read that in some of the show prep for today when they're talking about Azov as some kind of like, you know, you know, people who don't like the Azov battalion or trying to say things, bad things about them and call them Nazis 
are like, oh, well, you know, it, it actually isn't the case that Tarrant went there. But the fact that he said that he did tells you something about who they are is basically what one of these outlets said that I was reading today. That makes sense. Do you think it is strategically advantageous for the right to remain neutral in the war and criticize deaths on both sides? Or is there another perspective the right should be promoting? The, the, the right should be unapologetically pro-Russia, anti-Ukraine. That's my view of it. Because the, the Ukraine thing is a, is a product of the Democrat Party and the U.S. State Department. That's, that's what this is, okay? So, like, all of the stuff, and the, the people who get mixed up in it and think, like, oh, I should be on, on Ukraine's side because there's Nazis there, you know, if you go listen to the Poll House interview, like, the, the actually, like, the argument there is very, very simple and, and not, <clears throat> doesn't stand up to scrutiny, frankly, okay? And so, like, th th they're trying to get our guys to go over there and die in their war. And so they're like, oh, you know, you can die with a swastika in your pocket if you come die for us. And, like, that's basically the sales pitch. And, you know, I feel bad for people who fall for that. I would be interested in your thoughts um, on how the right should be pro-Russia and how we should be presenting that. And thank you very much for taking my call. You're, you're very welcome. And so and thank you for making the call. You know, I think that, you know, I mean, I don't need I, I, like pro-Russia is, you know, you take it or leave it. OK, I'm pro-Russia. I think that Russia is is fighting the same forces that we are fighting. OK, they are taking on, you know, globalism, essentially. And I think that, you know, the Russian conception of like a multipolar world order is a is a sane and rational thing. All right. It, it's not working out very well that you have this global American hegemony that has become, you know, that, that, that thrives only on its exorbitant privilege of the world reserve currency and then turns that into military power and does so at the expense of everybody who holds dollars. Like all we're exporting anymore is inflation. And so it's really it's a really sick thing that's going on. And, the, and I don't like the idea, which is what I think China wants. That, like, you topple the American-led world order and then China takes our place, okay? They're going to have a Chinese-led world order, and I'm afraid of that, okay? And so, you know, prior to basically right up until the Biden administration, the, the whole U.S. foreign policy, the maintenance of the world order was tied up in this, this Nixon-Kissinger strategy of not allowing Russia or China to become closer to each other than either one was to the United States. And so, you know— the, the Biden administration comes in and is like, well, we're going to basically wage war against Russia in, in every way but sending F-16s into their territory. And and by the way, you know, we're going to act like China's not a problem anymore. And so you have this situation where the Biden administration is clearly working for China. OK, it's, they're working to destroy the United States led world order and they're and they're aiding that mission by pushing Russia into China's corner. And that is a complete disaster. That's a complete disaster. And the way that you reverse that is for American foreign policy to be friendly towards Russia. And the only way to do that at this point is to grant them territorial concessions in Ukraine. And then you say, OK, you know, the, this Biden idiot was basically a, 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 a puppet of foreign powers. He was a problem. We don't want anything to do with his foreign policy. The new president comes in, likely Donald Trump, gives them the territory that they de facto have already that, you know, before they take over the whole damn country and you say, all right, now we're going to we're going to stop with this nonsense. OK, we're friends now. Now, I think that that's a reasonable you know, policy agenda that 
that preserves American, America's position in the world. And that is what I think ought to happen. You know, narrative-wise, you know, do you want to co-sign everything Russia does? Clearly not. I mean, it's a country at war, right? But, you know, we have this stupid, you know, if you watch the Republican debate, like, you had Chris Christie repeating the same stupid war propaganda that Paul House was repeating, like, oh, they're raping people. It's like, it's like, it's a bunch of stupid lies and war propaganda. Like, what is the strategic advantage of doing something like that? It's There's none. And so, you know, it's not even so much pro-Russia as much as it is anti you know, partisan Democrat foreign policy colluding with foreign intelligence agencies. That's really the idea. And the, and the, the fact of the matter is, you know, the people that they're colluding with, are, they're colluding with them against Russia. And so, you know, it's not the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's that, you know, I mean, that, that you know, closely enough approximates the point, perhaps. But the idea here is that <clears throat> Russia is being attacked unfairly and people ought to come to her defense in the in in opposition to the unfairness is my thoughts on it. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Two one seven six eight eight one four three three. If you would like to be on the program, and the more you told, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Caller, you're on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you tonight? Thanks. I Mike phone got this back last night. Thanks. Okay, so I was talking. You mentioned Michael Knowles and Ben Shapiro. Um, here's what I came up with. There's, they say there's 16 different personality types. It makes sense that people on the who maybe think the same or have the same interests process the world in an entirely different way. So, for example, someone uh, like Handsome Truth, he's a guy very different than other people, and he handles things different way. And he doesn't necessarily believe in voting, et cetera. And I would say I align more with him. I'm kind of just watching the whole thing. I'm not saying I'm not going to vote, but I'm not getting too into all of the left-right paradigm, et cetera. So does that make sense? I, the idea that you're not getting involved in a left-right paradigm means tells me that you don't understand politics at all. That's you know, and you go ahead, call me, call it ad hominem if you want. But you know, left-right is a real thing. You, you know, you can conceive of it in, in a different spectrum if you want. But it, excuse me, sorry. So you could conceive of left and right as order versus chaos or any diff- number of different ways. But left and right is a thing that emerges in politics in all places where politics have ever been. And so, like, the idea that you just don't buy into it is 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 silly propaganda from from people who either. <laughs> OK, so thank you very much for the call. I, you know, I hung up on well, you on Chris, purpose before, Chris, by the way. Chris. So, like, I'm you know, I'm done with you. I don't like your call. You're not, you know. Anyway, so, ladies and gentlemen. If you would like to get on the phone lines, go ahead and do that. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. So please do give us a call. Now I'm going to go over. I'm going to pull up one of these stories. Let's see here. What was that was from? Okay. 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. This whole thing drives me completely nuts, man. Like, so one of the things that I'm really amused by, right? So here's a good example of what I'm talking about, of the media here just completely ignoring the backstory of the situation. So here's a piece in the Washington Times that was published on August 14th, 2023. All right, so not very long ago. 
And their po- th- this piece is titled Timeline of Ukrainian Pay-to-Play Scheme Confirms Biden's Corruption. And okay, sure it does. But here's what they do. Uh, actually, I'll show you this to you. So here's the piece in the Washington Times. Timeline of Ukrainian pay-to-play scheme confirms Biden's corruption. Okay. And they talk about it a little bit, yada, yada, yada. What's the first date? May 12th, 2014. <laughs> okay. Why is it beginning in May 12th, 2014? Why? Because the Washington Times does not want to talk about everything that happened prior to May of 2014. Okay. This is a situation where the war party, John McCain included, went over there and waged a coup and violently overthrow the government of Viktor Yanukovych. And they're not going to tell you about that because they're a bunch of lying criminal scum. 217-688-1433. Now, let's go to another story here. Um, <clears throat> here's another fun one. So this is actually, this is an old story. This is an old story that uh, I actually had to bring up for another reason somewhere. And uh, if I had more time today, I might have gotten into this in the, in the opening monologue. Uh, when I put things, here we go. So this is at uh, Current Events Inquiry. And they say, uh, FBI agent accidentally reveals own 8chan posts, attempts to redirect white supremacist rage against Russia. So this was posted on June 17th, 2019. And uh, the unsealing of an application for a search warrant by federal government, by the federal government on 8chan servers has unintentionally revealed that a federal agent has been trolling the site and attempting to redirect the user's conspiracy theories against the Russian government instead of the CIA or Mossad. The legal case stems from the April 27th shooting of a California synagogue by white supremacist and 8chan user John Ernest. The day of the shooting, Ernest is believed to have posted to 8chan a link to an anti-Semitic pastebin manifesto and a not-so-cryptic suggestion that he was about to commit a murderous act of violence to back up his beliefs. In the accompanying affidavit to the search warrant application, FBI Special Agent Michael J. Rod requests the, quote, IP address and metadata information about Ernest's original posting and the postings of all the individuals who responded to the subject posting and or commented about it. Additionally, agents seek information about any other posting coming from the IP address used by Ernest to post uh, to post the subject posting. In Appendix J, Rod attaches a series of screen caps from an 8chan thread that took place the day of the synagogue attack. It is ultimately, uh, it is not ultimately clear that Ernest took part in this thread. What is notable is that next to the anonymous user label in some of the uh, posts is a U in parentheses marking, uh, which, uh, so those of you who are watching on video, you can see this. So you see this, what looks like a play button, you see anonymous, and then you see parenthetically U, the date, the day, the time, and this uh, numeric ID. And he says, uh, I'd imagine we're looking at uh, Cali here. Um, he admits he toasted the mosque and memes STBT uh, in before shooter in San Diego something. As it turns out, this text is to let the user know that they are looking at their own posts. This means that Special Agent Rod inadvertently exposed himself as HN user ID 8F412, 8F84, I'm sorry, 8F4812, by 
including these screenshots as his supporting uh, exhibit. As it turns out, a more complete version of this thread was saved on archive.is before it was deleted. By using control F on the page and inputting 8F4812, you can look at all the posts made by the FBI agent in this thread. The longest reply can be found here, and it says, uh, guys, read my posts. I believe uh, the shooter, there's a lot of typos in this, which are obviously put there intentionally. The shooter, I'm not going to read the typos, but did post on here that there is also more. I've been here all day. There are at least two others that are posting in a bot shill-like fashion to promote this. This thread never would have made it to the first page where I found it this morning. Think there is outside involvement, likely Russian. In the post not attributed to the man himself, these two not only hyped this thread in an awkward way, they continued to an odd pattern of posts to keep this thread alive. Look at the parallel language and style. Paul does not talk like that. Look at the memes chosen in these posts. Not even effing clown. Uh, While I believe John may have been motivated by his own beliefs and reasons, I believe that there are other forces at work that may have provoked him. The original link leads to a Terrence Ladd's group in Russian. He may have been rightfully upset with the way the world is, but he may have been manipulated into this by something that is not. I blame Mossad and the CIA and FBI too, but this time I am not so sure. We know all three of them can meme because we are shilled by them all day long. He chose a he chose a crappy pistol. Anyone would have planned a little more thoroughly. If BT is a hero to him, as he describes, I guess he's referring to Brenton Tarrant, he would have learned from his mistakes at a minimum of an effort to emulate him and do the same. To walk in completely unprepared with a single pistol ends off even more red flags. This is very unusual. This is not the typical uh, triple parenthetically conspiracy. And I am worried. I don't believe this is the end of this. I hope someone else takes it upon themselves to investigate what I posted above as well. In another series of posts, the, the Fed poster follows up on the blame Russia theme. He says, this was posted by one of the shills that knew of the shooting prior. Notice that the screenshot is uh, 20 hundred hours. That correlates with Ukraine and Western Russia, if you do the math. Seriously, one of you has to dig on this. Please review this thread. There is some Russian slash Ukrainian involvement. At one point, another user accuses the Fed of being Mossad. Extremely fake, he replies. Who believes this S sloppy Oh, no. The user accusing him of being Mossad says this. The Fed replies, no, not Mossad. Stop attacking the board and sliding this thread. Sloppy job, Putin. Okay. Uh, so anyway, so this was a story that came out in 2019, wherein they are, uh, uh, you know, the FBI is on 4chan, basically claiming that Russia is responsible for all of our problems, which tells you quite a bit, I'd go so far as to say. And here's another FBI Russia thing, or FBI Ukraine SBU thing, I should say. The FBI facilitated takedown requests made by the Ukrainian spy agency. We just hear about this so rarely, the Ukrainian spy agency. The FBI colluded with a Ukrainian intelligence agency to pressure social media companies into taking down accounts accused of spreading Russian disinformation, some of which belonged to Americans, a House committee said. The report issued by the House Judiciary Committee and Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government on Monday was part of a Republican-controlled committee's probe into the federal government's role in censoring speech on social media platforms. 
The report is based on documents subpoenaed from Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, and Alphabet, the parent company of Google and YouTube, in February. In light of well-documented instances of the FBI's civil liberties abuses, this new information raises grave concerns about the FBI's credibility as the nation's premier law enforcement organization. It alleges that the FBI violated the First Amendment rights of Americans and potentially undermined our own national security. Um, the committee found that following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, enlisted the FBI in support of an effort to combat the spread of Russian disinformation on social media. But of course, we know that Russian disinformation is just like what is being published by Russia. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. There was a big thing. You know what I found pretty amusing? You guys probably heard this. Miss, dis, or mal information. Does that sound familiar to you when they're talking about mal information? we got to get rid of all this mal information. When they, they basically gave up the thing that they were just, you know, deleting the lies. They're like, we need to get out of the, the un- inconvenient truths is what we're really afraid of. 217-688-1433. Last chance to get on the phones. Caller, you're on Surreal Politics. What can I do for you this evening? Hi there, Chris. How are you? I'm doing well, dear. Thank um, you. How are I- you? Oh, um, nervous, but there's a couple of things I want to ask you about. Okay, don't be nervous. Okay? I'm friendly. I'm not going to bite your phone. You're, 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 I, I'm, uh, there's a locked door between us. Don't worry about it. Right? <laughs> All right. So uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you was what you thought about third positionism. Third positionism? You know, like instead of the right-left thing of like a third party, like what do you think about that? So... I think that there's a difference between third position and third party to begin with, okay? So, you know, I, I think that the idea of third positionism is born out of the some misguided conceptions of what it means to be right-wing, okay? So, like, the idea that the right is, like, some kind of involved in some kind of free market orthodoxy is a, is a libertarian plot to destroy the United States, okay? So, like... If you go, you read like Russell Kirk or Edmund Burke, you know, who, who are, you know, these are thought leaders of conservatism now dead for a long time. You know, these guys were not of the opinion that, you know, you got to run a transnational criminal enterprise just because you filed papers with the with the FTC. OK, like that's nonsense. If you're destroying the country, the government's supposed to stop you. And it's a right wing thing to do that. And so, like, I, I think that. When we talk about, you know, like when I think that a lot of people are trying to talk about something other than the left right paradigm. This is what it's born of. They think that the right can't intervene in the market because they're ideologically opposed to it and that the left intervenes in the market for, you know, gays and non whites or something. And so, like, they're like, we need something other than that. Well, the left intervenes in the market using the state because the state is the most powerful weapon that they have to destroy the country, right? So, like, they're trying to wreck the country. They're trying to destroy everything that is decent and holy, and they understand that the state is very powerful, and so they use the government to do that. The right is not like, like you know, the, the libertarians will tell you that, you know, they don't control the country, and that's why the country is going all to heck. But I would go so far as to say that you know, that is only half right. They do control the country, and that is why it's going to heck, you know. It, they they basically have, you know, weaseled their way into the Republican Party, and they have, you know, gone, made a great deal of progress in sort of like convincing them that every intervention in the economy is communism. And, and so, like, you have this, you know, this very sort of selective 
you know, this tactical libertarianism, as some people have called it, that like, OK, no, 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 we're not allowed to interfere in the economy unless, of course, you know, unless it unless it wrecks the country, basically. Right. Well, no, you know, unless it's progressive. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, even in the Republican Party, like the Republican Party, you know, will intervene in the economy in like stupid ways to try to like compete with the Democrats. Right. So and, and they do stupid things like this. And it's like, well, no, like. You know, you can you can organize things in like you can organize economic policy. You know, immigration is the easiest example, but people don't tend to think of this as economic policy. Right. Like if you want to drive up wages, you create a labor shortage. Right. So like you 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 restrict immigration and wages go up because you don't have a, an endless flood of new bodies coming in to do the jobs. It's not it's not it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. And so <clears throat> um, but. You can also do things like, you know, uh, um, uh, subsidies for, you know, families or whatever. I mean, there's any number of things that you could do. And they don't do these things. And they say, oh, well, you know, the Democrats go and basically wreck the country with all their stupid economic policies. And the Republicans come in there and they're like, oh, wow, if only we had enough power to repeal the things the Democrats did. Sorry, we don't. And so I guess we're just going to, you know, we become the new guardians of the prior revolution. But and that's what conservative comes on to me. When Trump was in office. Well, well, just as a factual matter, they they actually didn't. So, like, you know, well, John McCain was the lone vote on repealing Obamacare, most notably. Right. So, like, John McCain is a Democrat and he always has been a Democrat and he is a Republican in name only. It's a plot. Right. And so, you know, when they come in there and they have 51 votes in the Senate uh, or they have, uh, you know, a, a bare minimum, whatever, and John McCain votes against it, then, you know, then they lose. And so that's that's what happens when, you know, people who think they're too cool for the Republican Party and don't participate in politics, the, the people who they don't like get to control the government. Right. And so that's that's what happened. Yeah. Well, so I uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Because this whole Russia-Ukraine thing is kind of confusing to somebody, you know, I'm not as smart as you guys or as geopolitically, you know, savvy. But I don't know if you've heard of a guy named uh, Jan Lemprecht, I think is how you say his name. Um, He's uh, from South Africa, or he was a Rhodesian, and he does a podcast, um, History Reviewed Channel. But he just did uh, a talk, um, it's called How the Jews and Russians Taught the Blacks Propaganda and Communism, and he really gets into the history of Africa and how Russia has been arming these communist uh, blacks in Africa and, and how it's like this huge battle over the resources and their um They've been arming the Africans, and also they've been teaching them propaganda and how to always twist um, the West as evil, the evil colonizers, and it, it just. Um, and I remember a long time ago too, hearing that China was very good at propaganda as well. But um, Africa is a huge kind of like a, a point of everything, like, because whoever controls Africa, I remember hearing the breakdown of it once, because you need the stuff that's in Africa to make the chrome, which is what you need to make um, 
a lot of important things. <laughs> I don't remember everything, you know, but super important things. And you can only get the ingredients for it in Africa. Um, but I just was wondering what you thought about that, because it's pretty clear that the Russians are very aggressive at having a handle on the Africans and teaching them the communist propaganda that they're using against white people and now singing death songs, you know, kill all the white farmers, you know. Um, yeah, I, I understand I don't, I don't some know. of what's going on in Africa. I mean, it's not it's not an entirely new phenomenon. So, like, you know, the um, the situation over there now is, I would say, well, to begin with, you know, I was locked up with a guy by the name of Victor Boot who was arming <laughs> – these, you know, these warlords in, in or I'm sorry, I should say was accused of arming these warlords in Africa. Victor Boot um, uh, told me that he's a ran a mild, he was a, a, man, a mild mannered businessman who had a shipping company. And, you know, if there were some weapons in his shipments, how's he to know? But anyway, um, <clears throat> he was bringing a lot of shipments to Africa in any case. And there was a lot of people dying. And, um, you know, so this is not the newest of things. And. You know, one of the things I thought was kind of funny is that, you know, the black people in the prison where I was, they they thought that uh, that Mr. Boot was on their side because he was giving them weapons. <laughs> I that was not my impression of it at all. I didn't think that I didn't think that he did. The, you know. Oh, it's like that Nicolas Cage movie. What was they, it? They, uh, they the based the of... movie on him. That's the movie was loosely based on the life of a man by the name of Victor Boot. Now they took some very no way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the, that was oh, the movie. That was the movie it was about. Now they the movie was like you know, the movie departed from even the accusations against Mr. Boot it, dramatically. I mean, the, the Nicolas Cage played a Ukrainian Jew who lived in like New York. So like Victor Boot to the best of my knowledge, never came to the United States until he was arrested. And he was not a Jew and not a Ukrainian, but, you know, just gives you an idea how far they veered from the story. But the, 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 the idea behind it was that he was, that, that was the theme of the movie was the life of Victor Boot in any case. And so I was locked up with that guy. And, you know, you know, when you're, when you go and you give these people weapons, it's not because you're trying to help them. Let's just, you know, understand that. Now you go and you teach them communism, you know, I, you know, Going and teaching people communism is not something that you do to help them. Right? You, that's that's a way of destroying those people, and so you know it's a way of destroying the Boer, of destroying South Africa, and they're shipping those people over here by the the ton. You know, like thousands and thousands and thousands. They're coming here, and they have the same mentality. They they have the same everything. They view us the same way they view the South Africans. So I I. I have a hard time, and, you know, I read the book, um, the one by Thomas uh, Goodrich. Um, I'm nervous. I can't think of it. It's like, you know, um, hell, hell something, um, hellstorm. Um, and it's hard for me, you know, in reading about that history and everything to, to think of Russia as not, you know, and look what they're doing in Africa with, with their, you know. Well, what, what, what Russia is trying to do to in Africa is gain power, person, right? Who's the bad person? So, like, huh? well, here's the thing. So, it, it it's sometimes it just helps to think of interests as opposed to good and bad, okay? So, you know, Russia is at war, and it's in a proxy war with the United States, okay? And so, you know, Africa has a great deal of natural resources which are untapped because the— 
indigenous population of Africa is incapable of exploiting them, right? And so it wasn't untapped, though. South Africa was like what was the gem of Africa. They had a handle on all that, and they've just been destroyed by you know other Western countries, you know, doing the bidding of the people who want to control the resources down there. And they're using, you know, for the way I see it, they're using the Africans as a weapon. They're weaponizing them. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. And now right? they're spreading them, huh? That's exactly what they're doing. They're weaponizing them, right? And so, you know, the 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 Western powers are waging war against Russia, and Russia is doing what Russia can to, you know, to wage that war, right? And, you know, I know of no better way to ruin a country than to go send a bunch of communist blacks into it with rifles. I mean, like, what else do you think is going to happen? So, like, yeah, it's a weapon. Yeah, and signal jammers, right? Right. So, like, you know, and, like, I, you know, I have all the sympathy in the world for, you know, the white South Africans. But, you know, I had, I had Simon Roche on my uncensored production years ago. And I was like, you know, why don't you guys just get out of there? Like, this is obviously not going to work out, you know. You know, if you're a nationalist... It's like, their country. Where are they going to go? It's their country. Well, you know, it's unfortunate it that the United States Africans. isn't inviting them there. In It's unfortunate that the United States isn't inviting them here. But, like, you know, you you are in a situation where you yeah. are the ethnic minority in a democracy and the ethnic majority wants to kill you. This is going to, like, end in a predictable way. But the only reason they're succeeding is because of the help that they're getting from the Western countries and the help that they're getting from Russia. They couldn't defeat the Boer without outside help. How, how how did South Africa get formed in the first place? You know, because well, the whole entire point of the enterprise of the is that, yeah. So like, but you know, the Russia's involvement in this is, you know, kind of a. It, it, I mean, Russia's been involved. You know, the Soviet Union was involved over there to various extents. But like, you know, the the current situation that you're talking about with Russia is a relatively recent phenomenon, as you say. You know, Western powers basically toppled the the apartheid regime, right? And so once that happened, you know, it's game over, okay? So, like, once you do that, you, you are an ethnic minority in a democratically elected government. What did you think is going to happen, right? So, like, you know, whatever you – I'm not saying that these people don't have rights to their property or whatever, but, like, you know what's going to happen. It's actually a predictable yeah. consequence. So what of, can they do? None of the countries will take them as refugees because they're white people, so they're not allowed refugee status. So what are they supposed to do? Well, you know, I think that you they know, have to work on that. I think we should be sending that. troops over there. I don't know that that's... I think those, why would we want to go fight a war in Africa is, you know... Yeah. I can, if, the idea that we would go send troops over there to help them, but we wouldn't accept them as refugees, I think that you'd get them to accept immigration before they'd accept war on behalf of white South Africans. And so, you know, I don't imagine that it's impossible for them to get to some other country. Uh, I think that I don't know all of the details of how much that has been attempted, but I'll say that it, it does not appear to me that um, it, I do not have information that they have been refused entry to every country. The, you know, the United States has said we're not giving, you know, asylum to them or whatever, but that doesn't mean that they can't go anywhere. I think they should go somewhere else. That's what I think. Yeah, I. It, it's just the whole, yeah. This thing with Russia, because I get it, like, no no more brother wars, right? Like, they're the same people as us, but they're also like us, where their government is controlled by uh, foreign entities, you know? 
uh, you know, that's I don't, the, I don't, I I don't can... know that that's so much the case in Russia as it is other places. I mean, look, you know, every every political situation has influences that are numerous, and like Russia is no different in that. Okay, so like the, the idea that um, that Russia is, I don't know, in, in the same position as the United States with regards to say, you know globalist international clique influence I, I actually don't believe that that's the case which is why i'm pro-russia right vladimir putin cares about the well-being of russia and that's an unusual thing you know on the world stage that's that's what they call nationalism right and so you know right. and 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 the fact that he's not like you know a completely ethnocentric russian you know is like used as anti-russian propaganda by people who think that it's going to be great to go die in ukraine or something but you know look you know russia is a, a an empire that has spanned a great distance and the fact that they are not ethnically homogenous after all of those you know many centuries of existence is not surprising to me and so like you know they're dealing with the situation that they are met with and they have a you know russia for the most part has a a fairly you know it's not a it's not an entirely homogenous culture but you know you, you know you, you have to be a russian you know and if you are of another ethnicity you are of another religion it doesn't mean that you get to abandon russian culture and hate the russian state and wage revolution against them like you do in the united states you know it's a different phenomenon right so, you know well the united states used to be like that too like we had different kinds of people but they still were not allowed to like upend our whole society you know as like they are now you know given carte blanche to kind of do whatever they want but that that has to do with who's in the majority right yeah interestingly who, it's it's being know. pointed out to me in the chat something i've heard before that some boars have already settled in russia so like you know people talk about you know russia going over there and stirring up things in africa okay you know they probably are but they're also, um, you know, they're they're also making themselves a, uh, a a place of asylum for the Boers and for Americans, right? We just talked before about some guy who, you know, is basically being persecuted in the United States and fled to Russia. And so, you know, yeah, I heard about that, <laughs> right? And so, in any case, yeah, it's uh, it's now eleven thirty-five, and so I'm going to end this show. But it's been a pleasure speaking to you, and I hope that you'll call in again. You too, man. Have a good night. Thank you very much, Dan. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we do this every Monday at 9.30, or at least we will until you stop paying me. Uh, you know, maybe if you're watching on uh, one of these video streaming platforms or you're watching somewhere else or maybe you download the podcast, go ahead and express approval. Like the Odyssey guys, you guys haven't hit that fire button like half of you have because you're a bunch of lazy people. Oh, I should probably do this. Speaking of uh, people who aren't lazy, Tom sends uh, $14.33, and he says, $14.33, never lose hope. Well, you know, no promises. I might just lose hope if you guys don't pay me. So go over to surrealpolitics.com slash donate, and then you'll find where my cash app is. That's Edgy Chris. You can send me cash app. You'll find all my Bitcoin and my Monero and all of those QR codes for, well, not the QR codes, but the keys. Should I put the QR codes there? Will that make you pay me more money? Whatever I need to do to get the money, I'll do it. GiveSendGo.com slash SPM. You can become a member, surrealpolitics.com slash join. That'd be a great idea. Mondays, we do a uh, we do a members-only show. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all there. We do like a live video chat. And you're all welcome to come join me. That'd be a great idea. And uh, what do you call it? And on Friday, I do an uncensored production. And uh, you know how to find it. ChristopherCampbell.net slash subscribe will get you on my mailing list. And you should do that. 
and all those things. And then you buy t-shirts at surrealpolitics.com slash shop. All those things are great. And uh, it helps the show keep going. You can uh, become a certified AI expert. Surrealpolitics.com slash AI expert. Go look at that. There's a class, 249 bucks. Great idea. It's one of my advertisers. You find out more there. We'll see you soon. Thank you.